to remind you, I'm not going to read it this morning, I want to remind you that everything Jesus is teaching us in Matthew chapter 10 is predicated upon a scripture in the previous chapter, Matthew chapter 9, and that's a scripture that he says that we are to go out. It says the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, so we need to ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. That's not just Malawi, that's Wenatchee Valley, and we're all called to go. Someone years ago said you're either a mission field or you're a missionary, and there's some truth to that. And based upon that particular request of Jesus, he begins to give us instructions on how we can be fully committed disciples of Christ and how we can share our faith. The very first part of Matthew 10, we talked about we have to have a mission. Each of us need to know what our mission is. Some of you are called to work in uh, medical care. Some of you are called to work in prison. Some of you are called to work with preschoolers. Those are all very specific calls. God has given you giftings and personalities. You have a place to be used in the kingdom. Now, last week, we talked about the opposition that comes. Opposition. Anytime you are doing something for God, Satan is going to oppose you. And so we need to know how to deal with opposition. We talked about that last week. Today, we're going to look at how Matthew wraps up this chapter by talking about the sacrifices that we need to make. Sacrifices to share our faith, but really sacrifices to live for Jesus. You know, in the Gospels, uh, in the Scriptures... But particularly in the Gospels, man, there are a handful of Jesus sayings that just seem so completely out of character for him. And they just seem to contradict things that he said in other parts of the Scriptures. These are hard Scriptures, and sometimes you can't help but wonder, how in the world did this verse even get in the Bible? I don't get it. I don't understand it. Could Jesus really have said such a thing? And we need to deal with one of those today because it's in our text. We can't just jump over it. Today is a good example. And uh, as we conclude this section of, of Matthew 10, there's a couple statements that Jesus made that seem really hard. And they are hard. But I think in context today, the Lord will help us deal with them. Uh, let's look at verses 34 35 and 36 uh, to begin with this morning. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What? Jesus said all this? It's in the scriptures. And a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Now that statement seems to contradict so many verses that we have in the scripture where Jesus says, I have come that you might have peace. I have come that you might have life. What does he say about bringing a sword? A couple years ago, we went through how we need to be 
treating those who are persecuting us. And remember, Jesus said, turn the other cheek. If someone hits you, turn the other cheek. If they take your coat, give them your shirt as well. What about the times that he refused to fight against those who arrested him? Now, Peter was quick to lop off the ear of one of the soldiers, and Jesus rebuked him for it. And now he's saying to us, I've come with a sword? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What about all the scriptures that we have about family unity? About honoring our parents? About training our children in the way that they should go? What about all the scriptures we have about mutual respect? About loving one another? with respect. Well, we've got to plow through that. What does Jesus mean by this particular verse? Well, first of all, I want you to know he is not condoning violence. You can't take one verse, build some kind of a, a doctrine out of it. He is not condoning violence here, and he's not condoning family dysfunction. He is not. We have to weigh this verse against all those others that I just referred to. What he is doing is making a very serious statement about the nature of discipleship. Are we really ready to pick up our cross and follow Jesus? Do we really want Jesus to be the very center of our lives or do we just want to add him on? to all the other elements of our life. Is Jesus Lord of your heart, or do you just have a place in your heart for Jesus? Jesus is challenging us with these statements. He is challenging us to pursue greatness in the kingdom, effectiveness in sharing the gospel and, and producing spiritual fruit. He is trying to challenge us to make sure that he is number one in our life. That is serious business. He doesn't want us to play around. Revelation has a scripture about how God would rather you be fully sold out for him, hot, or just go do your own thing, cold. He doesn't want us to be lukewarm. He doesn't want any of us to be just playing church or having a relationship of convenience. Sometimes people want Jesus in their life because they need something from him. That is not the reason to make Jesus the Lord of your life. It's not about what we can get out of it. So Jesus is saying here, man, we need to get serious about serving the Lord. We need to get serious about pursuing his will for our life. We need to get serious about holiness. So in this final section of Matthew 10, he's got some serious words. And today we're going to look at these verses very carefully because, again, I don't want you to miss what Jesus is saying to us, but I also don't want you to misinterpret it. You know, there are many rewards for following Jesus. We understand that. Man, there's peace in the midst of a storm. There is security. 
There is strength. In fact, the Bible says when we are at our weakest, God's strength works the best. Man, there are so many rewards coming to us from our relationship with Christ. In fact, we get much more than we could ever give him. Amen? But Jesus makes it clear in these verses that to be a disciple, in order to live this life of greatness and spiritual productivity, there are some sacrifices we need to make. And there's three specifically we're going to talk about this morning. But before we do that, I want to bring this into the context of this season of Lent that we're in. We're in the season of Lent, 40 days. Many people have sacrificed something during this 40 days so that they can get more of Jesus. You see, you sacrifice the lesser thing in order to get the greater thing. Let me say that again. You sacrifice the lesser thing to get the greater thing. You sacrifice a small thing to get a big thing. And that's true in life, isn't it? If you're a college student, sometimes you have to sacrifice watching TV or going out with your friends in order to study. Because the degree takes you much further than some old reruns that you might be watching. Financially, we've learned as adults to make sacrifices. You do without things right now. You put it away. You do without so that later you have the reserves you need for something that you really want. It means doing without now so that you can have later. And it's true in our spiritual life. Man, there's sacrifices we need to make in order to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. What we get back in return is much greater than we give. I understand that. God's not a God who takes. He's a God who gives. He's a God who loved us so much, he gave Jesus. That's why we celebrated the death of Jesus today, by taking communion. And when you give him a lesser thing, he will reward you with a greater thing. So I want you to view this these, these verses, these hard verses, in context of sacrificing something lesser for something greater, even though you might not have to make that sacrifice of family or that sacrifice of peace. So there's three sacrifices here, three areas which we've got to get our priorities right. We just got to get them right, friends. We're looking at them one by one. And the first is you need to take a second look at your loyalties. Who are you loyal to? Where's your loyalty? Man, we've kind of seen that tension in our country in the last four or five years, as people have shifted their loyalty from Jesus to political leaders, and it's caused tension, caused a rift in the evangelical church. We've got to take a look. Where are our loyalties? And if our loyalty, number one, is not Jesus, then we need to examine our heart. We need to realign our loyalties. Okay, verse 35 to 36. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. 
Don't, don't uh, misunderstand this. This is not a goal <laughs> for, for Christians. I don't want you to think that Jesus is saying this should be one of your goals in life. It's not true. What he's saying in certain situations, this could be the inevitable result of those who choose him. Years ago, you might remember, he was here multiple times, a brother by the name of David Jabar. David was from the country of Jordan. He was Muslim. He moved to the United States specifically to go to the university in Texas. And when he was in Texas, he became involved in campus ministry called Chi Alpha. He was raised a Muslim, but his college roommate invited him to this Christian gathering. David began to see Jesus in a different light than he had as a Muslim. And he accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. He later became an ordained Assembly of God pastor. And some of you remember, because I had him here several times. At first, this was a little bit tension-filled, and he decided not to tell his family back home. But as you know, that's not the way Christianity works. <laughs> we need to share what Jesus has done for us. That's what the Bible tells us. And when David finally told his father back in the country of Jordan, he was totally disowned. And his dad said, well, you, you found your new home there in the United States. Don't ever even think about coming back because you have no place in my household anymore. I remember a guy by the name of Steve Towner that I went to school with at Oral Roberts University. He lived uh, in Southern California. His dad was active in a church, active in a board, but his dad had this big family business and he sent Steve to ORU to get a business degree so that he can come back and take over the family business. And when Steve was at ORU, he had a definite call upon his life not to be a great businessman and not to take over his family business, but instead to move to Mexico and to, uh, to work among the poor and the destitute, and it infuriated his father. And he said, Steve, are you going to allow your religious fanaticism to ruin your life and to ruin all that your grandfather and I have established for this family? I remember Steve really wrestled with that. Those are two instances that I know of. <laughs> Individuals that came from good families, affluent, close-knit families. But in each case, those guys had to make a decision. Where's my loyalty? And in both cases, they decided they were going to follow Jesus. No turning back. But it meant exactly what the scripture said for them. We need to be willing to make that kind of sacrifice. It doesn't say 
that you're going to be required to, that you're going to have to, that you should make that sacrifice. See, it's a tough choice to make. Each of us at some time will need to choose where our loyalties lie. Maybe it's in your office situation, and you're going to have to stand up for what you know is right, and you've got all the peer pressure and all the opposition and all the people teasing and making fun of you. We've got to come to a point, friends, where we say, my loyalty to Jesus Christ is greater than my loyalty to anything else. That's the point of this scripture. When you decide to pursue a life as a disciple of Jesus, just be prepared if there are people who are going to hold you back. People who say, well, don't take Jesus so seriously. You don't need to do that to be a Christian. Oh, you know, God's grace is sufficient. God will forgive you for that. On and on. And we've been given a greater call to say yes to Jesus. Who are you loyal to? Who's on the top of the list of people that you are loyal to? I trust it'll be Jesus. The second area that we need to examine this morning, according to the word here, is our loves. So it's our loyalty, but it's also our loves. What do we love? Verse 37, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me. Now, you could put a number of things in there. Anyone who loves my home. Anyone who loves skiing. Anyone who loves vacations. Anyone who loves television. Whatever. Anyone who loves something more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves... Again, his son, his daughter, more than me is not worthy. Jesus is not saying we shouldn't love our sons and our daughters. He's just saying that we need to love him first and foremost. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Verse 39 says, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What do you love more? I look at a couple like the Stovers. And we have many that we support here at Wenatchee First Assembly. And I think, you know, I, I love to travel. I'd love to go to Malawi sometime and be there and sense the culture for a couple weeks. <laughs> Can you imagine the sacrifices, the hardships? It's not just Weston, it's not just Allison, but now they've got these two kids. They're not only away from their culture, the United States, they're our culture. That's a huge thing. Because when you live in a different country, you don't celebrate the same things. It's not the same, it's, it's different. But you're also away from your family. Here's a couple who were willing to say yes to Jesus when it would have been a lot easier to say, you know, we'll just pastor a church close to grandma and grandpa so they can enjoy our girls. Come on. They've sacrificed. 
because their loyalty is Jesus, but their first love is Jesus. Oh, they do all they, they can from a distance, but I have to ask myself, would I be willing to make that kind of sacrifice on a long-term basis? When Jesus tells us we love him more than we love our children or our parents or our spouse or our country, he's not saying that we aren't to love the other things. We should love our country. We should love our spouse. We should love, you know, our children. But he's saying not to love them more. Jesus wants all of our hearts. And here's something I've found throughout the years. Now listen, because this is really a, a good statement. By loving Jesus most, you can love others best. By loving Jesus most, you can love others best. Here's an example, kind of an extreme example, but an example of, uh, of what I mean by this. A, a woman once said, my weakness is I love my children too much. I just can't say no to them. So when her son turned 15, uh, she and her husband bought him a brand new truck. Now, he, he didn't have a driver's license yet. It wasn't legal for him to drive. Yet, she loved him so much, she allowed him to drive. Got into an accident before his 16th birthday, before he had a driver's license. And you know, your first inclination is to say, man, if, if you didn't love your son so much, you shouldn't spoil him. You shouldn't spoil him like that. You shouldn't spoil him rotten. You're destroying, you know, destroying his character development. But in the lens of the scripture, it's not how much or little she loves her son in that illustration. The issue is her love for Christ. If she loved Christ first and foremost and more than her son, she would better love her children. She would strive to be a parent that would show him what it's like to follow Jesus. Not to break the law. You see what I'm saying? Jesus knows much more about what's best for our loved ones than we do. So if we love Jesus most, we can love others best. And parents who love Jesus wouldn't let their children break the law. People who put Jesus first won't give their children privileges without responsibilities. Because that's not training them in the way of the, of the scriptures. Parents and grandparents who love their children and grandchildren, if they put Jesus first, will make sure that they're helping those kids become like Jesus. And again, this is an extreme example, but there's a lesson to be learned. When you love others with the kind of love that only God deserves, then we begin treating them like God. We do anything to make them happy. 
because we've made them into our gods. When you love others with the kind of love that only God deserves, you are treating them like they were God. I know that's hard, but I told you, this is a hard portion of Scripture. But we've, we've got to come to grips with it. We love others best when you love Jesus the most. Okay, third thing. We've got to take a second look at our life, our life. So loyalties, loves, and thirdly, life. Let's read the rest of the chapter, verse 38 to the end of the chapter. When anyone does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me. And he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who receives a righteous man because he is a righteous man will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he's my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. I have found uh, in my life that the happiest people that I've met are the ones that don't even give happiness a second thought. They're not striving for happiness. They're not trying to chase happiness, thinking, oh, if I just had a bigger television, if I just had a, a newer car, if I just had another relationship, I could be happy. The happiest people do not chase happiness. They're more interested in being content. They're more interested in doing God's will. They're more interested in the things of the kingdom. Now, God wants us to be happy, but happiness isn't always found where we expect it to be. You know, sometimes we think there's these two roads, the the happiness of of self-indulgence, and then there's another road, the misery of doing God's will. No, it's not like that at all. Now, Satan would want us to see it that way, just like Weston said, sometimes take communion, and you look at those verses about being unworthy, and all of a sudden you have a, a thwarted view of communion, and you're not celebrating it, you're dreading it. It's bringing condemnation on you. And sometimes we think that way. Man, this is the road that will lead me to happiness, and this is the one God wants me to take, and it's going to be full of misery. That's not true. It's actually just the opposite. It's the misery of self-indulgence, and those who've tried that lifestyle know what I'm talking about. More things never really make you happy. You don't find happiness by pursuing happiness. You find happiness by pursuing God. And most of you realize that. But not everyone does. That's why we have to share Jesus. Recently, uh, Deion Sanders took the head coaching position at the University of Colorado. And uh, some of you might remember that name, Deion Sanders. Um, When he played in the NFL, he had everything. (laughs) 
you could possibly want. And even though he didn't say it then, he was a most miserable man. He said later, the more money I made, the more miserable I became. At one point in his life, Deion Sanders tried to commit suicide. After moving to Dallas, he had a transformational experience. Deion Sanders met Jesus. <laughs> didn't just uh, hear about Jesus, just didn't under, he met Jesus, and Jesus changed his life. And as far as I know to this very day, Deion Sanders is very committed to Jesus Christ. But after he had his conversion experience, he decided to write his autobiography. Still a young man. You know what it's called? Money, Sex, and Power. How Success Almost Ruined My Life. Deion Sanders was doing everything he could do to find life. And in the process, it almost destroyed him. But then you know what happened? He lost his life. He lost his life when he gave his life to Jesus. And he knew he would have to say goodbye to many things in order to put Jesus first. But he says in his book, I have found a more meaningful and happy life than I ever imagined I would know. That's his testimony. And it can be our testimony. Jesus said if we want to have life to the fullest, abundant life, you don't get there by self-centeredness. You don't get there by seeking possessions. You don't get there by putting your loyalties and your loves and your lives in any other place than to be pursuing Jesus. You get there by letting go and losing yourself in him. By giving yourself completely to him, you'll find your life, the life that God meant for you to live, a life of abundance and peace and joy and happiness, no matter what your circumstances are. And all of those things are the product, really, of walking step in step with Jesus. So Matthew 10 is a wonderful chapter. I hope you've enjoyed it as we've gone through, and I hope it's inspired you, but I also hope it's challenged you. It's challenged me, I know. We've talked about how Jesus wants his followers to live a life of sharing his love with others. Not about fame, not about fortune. It's about impact. It's about effectiveness. It's about making a difference in the lives of those around you. It's about achieving greatness in the kingdom of God. So I challenge you, challenge myself as we continue through this new year of 2023. Let's get serious about Jesus. I mean really serious. Let's get serious about our life. There's a sacrifice involved. Yes, <laughs> the ultimate sacrifice and Jesus isn't just asking for an hour and a half on Sunday morning or a few dollars from your paycheck. Jesus is asking for your all today. He wants all of you that there is. He wants you to lose yourself in him. 
He wants to be first on your list of loyalties, first in your list of loves, and first in your life. Just bow for just a moment our heads and close our eyes so we're not distracted. I don't know where you are in your walk with Jesus. Maybe you're still just kind of seeking, seeking him out. You're curious. Maybe you've asked Jesus into your heart, but you're really not totally loyal to him yet. He's still not your first love. Maybe you've walked with Jesus for 20 or 30 or 40 years, yet you just don't have that freshness, that excitement. <laughs> you don't wake up every morning with a smile saying, good morning, Lord, it's a wonderful day. I'm excited to see what you're going to do in me and through me. And maybe you just need today to renew your commitment to the Lord. I just want you to pause for a moment. and Let the Holy Spirit help you to evaluate where you are in putting Jesus number one in your life. And I say to let the Holy Spirit help you because our tendency would be to use the wrong checklist. We would say, yeah, we come to church, check. Oh, we pay our tithe, check. We read the Bible most, most every day, check. No, that's the wrong checklist. Let the Holy Spirit show you is Jesus your first love? If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, into your life, if you've never surrendered to him, I want to give you that opportunity right now. I won't embarrass you. I'm not going to call you forward. I, I, I just feel led this morning to say if, if you want to start a life with Jesus today, I and our staff and our board, we want to be here to help you. We want to pray with you, give you a Bible, do all we can to help you. So if you're here today and you just want to start a life with Jesus, I want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you. I'm just going to look around. I'm looking on your far left right now. Anyone in the middle two sections starting your life with Jesus? Anyone over on your right? I don't see any hands. That's encouraging. But friends, thank you. I do see a hand. Bless you, my sister. We will talk. We will connect. I just want you to, again, allow the Holy Spirit to show you if there's anything in your life, in your list of loyalties and loves that's coming before Jesus. 
And as we sing this final song, I just want to open up these altars. Maybe you need to come and surrender those things. <laughs> Maybe you just need to come and spend some time with Jesus. I encourage you to do that. Will you stand with me?